Welcome to the 39th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brenda Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about one of the operations tools that everyone knows and nobody's ever found a complete replacement for, Nagios. We're not going to talk about the political side of the project. Some of the options and forks of Nagios have happened because of people, not technology. And while they were important in the sense that they got us where we are now, they really aren't worth rehashing here. So with that out of the way, we're going to dive right in. So the basic architecture of Nagios is that it's a poll-based model for the most part. It reaches out to devices or services or other things, inspects the state of those things, and then compares those that state against a predefined threshold. It calculates if it needs to do an alert, and it stores the result of that, that state check. Um, Nagios can also do passive checks, so things can be sent in directly, but that's not as well understood or supported. Most people generally run the active checks, the poll checks. And a lot of people give Nagios a, a bad, bad rap. Yeah, because it's it was a, a tool from an older era. It was a tool from when having a thousand servers was a huge deal and having 5,000 things you were checking was monstrous. And now that's just not really a big deal anymore. But for a lot of things, it's still a very interesting option and a lot of other tooling is based on it. All of the shops that I have worked with has had a Nagios-based monitoring solution. They've all been very different, but Nagios has been at the core. So there are, from what I can tell, three major branches of the Nagios project. Um, Nagios back in the day was NetSaint, but due to some trademark licensing issues back in the early 2000s, it was decided to to change it to Nagios. So As we said, some of these decisions are about people, not technology, and that was the first one. Um, so there's the current the, there's Nagios itself at the moment, which is I think 4.3 is the current version. Um, there is Namion, which is a fork of Nagios 4, and there is Isinga, which was a fork of Nagios 3 in that timeline. And they each have relative strengths and weaknesses. Um, Isinga, for example, has built-in distributed monitoring, so you can have multiple active masters and polars and other things, which is interesting. The Namion project... It's also diverged quite a bit from what I would consider as core Nagios. Yes. Initially, they were trying to keep... Um, config file compatibility to allow people who had config file generators and things, but it's it's drifted. Um, but its core is still that code base. The Namion folks, uh, I think it's Op Five who runs that, have a Merlin mod or have a a Neb module, the Nagios Event Broker module for it's called Merlin that allows you to do clustered Nagios and state transfer and stuff, so you can have a complicated fault tolerant topology. And the Nagios project itself has a commercial offering called Nagios 9, I believe. And that has other more advanced pieces in it. But all three of these came out of the same code base and the same kind of battle-tested and well-understood and, while it's derided at times, well-loved monitoring tool. It's reliable, it's stable, it does exactly what it says it's going to do, and it's easy to understand why it's doing the things that it's doing. If only so many people I talked to didn't profess their hatred of Nagios. The internet being full of its of threads about how to get rid of Nagios. It, it's one of those things that I find really funny. 
there are a lot of people who talk a big game about getting rid of Nagios and doing something else. But when it comes to it, the replacements are either we're going to outsource all monitoring to somebody else, um, Sensu or Datadog or whatever. Or some service as a service option and or platform as a service option or whatever. Yeah, and or, a lot of those actually make a lot of sense, especially for smaller shops. They have a, they have a slick UI. They have a fairly usually fairly expressive query language. They have agent based plugins or agent based installs, so you don't have to go and configure your checks everywhere. They can be really handy, but they're expensive. They don't scale terribly well generally, and well, they're expensive. Um, they are expensive, but. When when you're doing a startup and you compare the price of a third-party monitoring firm that's probably charging you per host and compare that to the cost of a systems engineer. True. And you realize why their price is expensive as they are because really for a, a small to medium shop, you're going to still spend a good chunk of an FTE on your monitoring infrastructure. Now, on the flip side, though, when you're getting to the point where you're trying to run monitoring internally because you can't scale with a hosted provider, but you're not quite big enough to write your own monitoring platform, a la Google or Netflix or one of them, there's not a lot of really good options. Um, there's a bunch of new projects. Some of them try to bridge those gaps. Prometheus is an interesting example, but it doesn't replace all the functionality that Nagios has. One of the things that I'm find either fascinating or really annoying is that Nagios is really great about doing black box testing. So uh, black box testing is you have no understanding really of what you're testing. You just expect it to toss back a response that is predefined. For example, you ping a server and you expect that ICMP echo to come back. Or uh, you expect that, to get a, a 200 back from a web server. And while those are seemingly really easy to implement, and they are, and Nagio supports them really, really well, a lot of the uh, data-based uh, analytical monitoring platforms have a really hard time with that, have a really hard time with something as simple as check my SSL certificates and alert if I forgot to renew it. One of uh, the biggest configuration is really complex to get the black box exporter to to do that appropriately. The way I try to think about the black box versus the white box or the integrated checks is the black box sees what your customers see. They see if your web server is returning a 200. They see how fast your web server is returning something externally. They don't see or care about the internal workings of which class is loaded and what's, whatever's happening inside your site or how fast your database is going internally. They see the outsider's perspective. And Nagios does a really good job of simulating what somebody outside your environment is going to see so you know if it's broken. Because you only really care about some of these pieces if it's customer impacting. And again, customers, of course, can be internal. We've discussed this at length on this podcast. But if the customer isn't impacted, why are you waking somebody up? And really, your customers don't care about a latency distribution, your customers care that they got their web page within, you know, a less than a second. And that's 
that's sort of the the counterbalance and balancing of trying to monitor what your customer sees and expects versus monitoring systems at large and more of a white box style monitoring so that you can understand behavior across the entire system. So one of the other pieces that Nagios has along with its black spot, its black box monitoring is a very, very robust scheduling agent or scheduling daemon that can concurrently schedule and handle lots and lots of active checks against various hosts. Um, a number of jobs ago, I had a four-node Nagios setup talking to five or 6,000 servers and 15,000 active checks, each executed between 60 and uh, 300 seconds, and it handled it with a plum. Always rocked on. Nobody ever blinked about it. It was great. Hold on a sec. So I've been working with a Nagios cluster that's running, oh wow, 1.3 million services, 1.3 million checks. Let me put the comma in the right place. Well, you are cheating somewhat on that metric. Oh, I totally lied. It's uh, 132,000 services. That sounds a lot more like it. Okay, that's, that's more sane. Yeah, so, so the next time somebody tells you that Nagios doesn't scale, if you have less than 10,000 servers and less than 100,000 service checks, you can make Nagios scale and handle the load that you're asking it to handle. I it, know this uh, Nagios configuration runs fine on a single box without any stress whatsoever. Uh, I have it deployed in the cluster configuration uh, mainly for... Uh, failover issues. This does bring me to one of my, my biggest complaints about Nagios, and that is that due to the way the, the core modules were written in C and the way they do the memory management, you cannot make changes to Nagios live. You have to edit the config file, check the config file, then restart the daemon. And trying to manage 100,000 services config files by hand is one of the most impossible tasks you'll ever ask of yourself. So if you're in the position of trying to scale Nagios out, find a tool that can write config files or write a tool yourself. They're not that hard. And make sure that all of your checks and your services and your hosts fit into that config file format that you're building because trying to do it by hand is a nightmare. Every time somebody comes up to me and tells me that, that Nagios is so old and busted, why would you use that? <clears throat> uh, their next complaint is that the configuration is so horrid. And yeah, the configuration is verbose, but I really don't think the configuration is designed for human interaction. If you're not, really, you should be completely automating your configuration, whether that's Puppet or a Perl script. And even your uh, system engineers, your DevOps folks, or your developers should be able to define new checks and test them without having to step through and deal with the intricacies of Nagios config formats. 
the only piece of the config file that you really should be editing by hand, if at all, is the bit of the config file where you give it your email address or your um, email to SMS gateway or whatever, your, your contact notification pieces. Your PagerDuty API key? Well, that too. But I've very much struggled for a long time trying to understand why so many people give Navius such a bad rap. Well, it's not new and shiny. It was written in a it's day totally when not shiny. Perl was a, a hot new language. And so a, there's a lot of embedded Perl stuff, or I think the embedded Perl stuff has been pulled out, but there's a lot of Perl mannerisms baked into Nagios. And that, of course, because it's Perl, can't be used. It's like PHP. It, it stopped working suddenly in 2012 because reasons. And also the, the UI, the default UI that you get with Nagios is kind of old and clunky looking. It doesn't support adaptive responsive you know, web design stuff. It's, it's not that pretty. The default UI is definitely stuck in the 90s, the early 90s. But it works. It does work. There are several other UI replacements out there. Because uh, you can easily write your own UI for Nagios and interact with it in multiple different ways. And every time I look for a better UI for my customers or my clients, I'm always horribly disappointed. Uh, there's Thruk. That's the UI I have given folks and used a couple times. It's a modern version of the original CGI's. It works pretty well, JavaScript, CSS, and some Perl. It's not, it's not anything, it's not a learning curve if you're used to the original CGI stuff. So there's no new concepts there. I have used CheckMK a couple of times now at various organizations. And I'm so sorry. Well, the... The basic presentation of data that CheckMK gives is better than the Isn't default. Horrible. Yeah. My problem with CheckMK is the architecture that it lays on top of Nagios in terms of it has its own templating language and its own config files and its own piece. So you're now do it, doing some kind of odd Python-y things on top of Perl-y things, and that, that gets kind of weird. And it has this whole concept of everything is a passive check. So... The short version of this is instead of having the checks be active black box checks where you ask a service how it's doing, you let the service tell you how it's doing. And the CheckMK style is there's an agent that lives on each of the hosts being monitored. And the master pings the agent and says, give me your data. And the agent says, oh, here's all the things I know about myself. And when you do an inventory scan for CheckMK, it goes and it builds a list of all the services that the agent returns to it at that time. The trouble, of course, with this is if the agent is broken or not returning correctly or taking too long or not running, a host will suddenly lose all of its service checks or parts of them or be otherwise misconfigured. And if you have a really large environment that's really hard to detect. And you can never run a global inventory and get everything correct. That's... Really, that's my big thing about CheckMK. If you're doing monitoring, you should know what defines health for your systems. Yes, but if that aside... If you're depending on your system to tell you how it should behave to be healthy, 
then you're opening yourself up to a raft of ideas to to say nothing about the inventory process. If there is an unauthorized user on your system, they can say, hey, this check doesn't exist anymore. You'll never see me. That aside, though, the CheckMK <clears throat> web UI is actually reasonable. I've not used the Ninja interface, but I've heard good things about it. Have you used that one, I've Jack? I've not used Ninja either. Again, I've heard good things about it. I also know it's PHP, which... Yeah. Saying something's PHP is a great way for me not to pay attention to it. But we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, just for completeness sake. Um, I've used now... the There's a... Somebody has written an API wrapper, so a REST API wrapper that you can you can host on the Nagio server and then communicate with kind of modern APIs. I've used that before to build very simplistic UI interfaces to Nagios in the past. And it works and it supports command pipes and all of the other pieces, so you can get the state of objects and you can you can run commands against Nagios that way. And that's a great tool for your automation to integrate into your Jenkins or your maintenance scripts or whatever. So you can poke Nagios and say, hey, this service is in downtime for 30 minutes while we do a deploy. But like a lot of things, there is no authentication on that API wrapper. So please make sure that you... Wrap the wrapper. You take the time to get an SSL certificate and S-Tunnel or something just to make sure you don't kill yourself because giving somebody unfettered access to turn on and off checks in your environment is a really great way to get yourself owned without really thinking about it. Yep. The most popular REST API um, tool for Nagios, I believe still parses status.dat. Um, I think which you're is, right. Which, which is slow, to say the least. Most Nagios installations at this point come with live status. Um, I know Naaman does... It's um, required by the CheckMK stuff. Uh, and live status is a pretty... Well, it's an interesting way to query the core Nagios uh, and ask it what it thinks, rather than parsing status.dat. So you can issue uh, specifically crafted queries and get um, a, a data load uh, from live status, that's pretty easy to parse. The API is not not awesome, but it's pretty well usable and pretty easily understandable. So some some simple uh, Perl Python can make fun use of it. The other addition to Nagios I wanted to mention is a project called PNP for Nagios that so a surprising number of people don't know exists or how to configure it. It basically takes the performance data off of a service check or a host check and sends it off to a TSDB of some kind. When it was first written, that TSDB was RRD because that's what was around. But people have written syncs for Graphite and for Kafka and all kinds of other things. So you can dump your Nagios performance data, all the, the metrics about your checks, into a TSDB. And then now you have the ability to do proper you know, monitoring or met metrics style checks against your graphite data or your Nagios data. Wow, I cannot speak tonight, can I? <laughs> really, to me, the the power of Nagios and why it stays relevant is it's designed around a plugin based architecture. 
your checks are plugins. You can always write new checks uh, in any language. What you do with the performance data, if it exists, is pluginable. Alerts and notifications are all pluginable. So if you can write the connecting bits, if you can write the checks, you can really do a lot of amazing things with Nagios. And the format is very, very simple in terms of the output codes that it expects. You have to be able to, to handle basic Unix um, shell exit codes and a very simple text format. And if you can do so, that yeah, with whatever you, you wrote... If you know Unix, you can extend Nagios left, right, and sideways. And further, you don't have to, you don't have to install an agent to get Nagios working. You also don't have to use ping as your is this host a live check. So if you're in an environment that either doesn't have ICMP enabled or you're trying to check things that don't respond to ping for various reasons, you can easily swap out the up check for something else. And Nagios has no problem because it's just another plugin. You say, oh, for this group of hosts, instead of using ping, use this other thing. It says, oh, sure, I'll do that. And it just works. And if you get fancy with it, Nagios also supports nested parent-child relationships. So you can say, here's all my network switches, here's all my printers, here's all my other devices, and I'm going to not get alerted if, for all the devices if a switch fails. I don't want 300 alerts about servers being broken if the switch above them is dead. Figuring out those dependencies is always the hard part. But that's, that's the hard part for any environment of knowing what your environment looks like. As they used to say, LDAP is easy. It's the organizational behavior and organizational data modeling that's hard. Yes. So another thing that folks complain about a lot uh, when I talk to them about Nagios is how Nagios handles data-driven uh, checking, data-driven analysis. And correct me if I'm wrong, but any sort of streaming data analysis tool really is just running the same check on the data as it comes in over and over again, which is basically what one can do with Nagios. There are numerous plugins to deal with graphite data, to deal with Prometheus data, OpenTSDB. Elasticsearch or other log data. I have, I have a graphite check command that does that easily wraps an expression around Holt Winters. So you can do some basic forecasting uh, that easily wraps an expression around some standard deviation bands to do some uh, forecasting that way. And that's and basically so magic. <laughs> well, of course, there's always configuring it, but it it's quite powerful in A, executing any graphite command, checking its thresholds, or running any graphite expression through a forecasting model and seeing if it stays within that model or not, or what its deviation is. And yes, there are more advanced tools for doing this, but again, Nagios can do it. You just have to have a little bit of time to apply to getting the plugins and getting the tooling where you want it to be. And if you have and that relatively time... Relatively easily, you don't have to integrate an entire TSDB to Nagios to get this functionality. You need to know how to the API to query it. And once you have it up and running, you have a zero subscription cost, zero purchase cost system that is customized for your environment 
that all it takes for maintenance is engineer time. And ideally that engineer time is relatively low as well. Cause once you have the model of how your environment is set up, that doesn't change terribly frequently. And the data scientists and other people who need more advanced tooling can build that tooling around the appropriate tool. So if you want to do Spark on Kafka or however it is, you can, running Nagios doesn't stop you from doing that, but Nagios complements almost every other monitoring platform I've seen because of the robustness and efficiency of its black box monitoring. Couldn't have said it better myself. And if you really, really must have commercial support, you can buy Nagios 9 from the Nagios folks. You can go to Op5 and they have a product they'll sell you happily. Um, go to Op5. They're pretty cool people. They really are. Um, Groundworks has a a wrapper that sits on top of Nagios and other tools and stuff. There's there's a bunch of supporting ecosystems that are not terribly expensive. I want to say the Nagios 9 unlimited enterprise support license is like $6,000 a year, $7,000 a year, which... On that's the, like cheap. Yeah, that, that's really not bad. It's not For, like 15 bucks a host. No, and if you're trying to do 10,000 hosts or whatever it is, suddenly that's a really good bargain. Yeah. So if you're looking for a slicker UI and, and more of a support architecture that way, that might be a path to go down. So for those listening to us, why don't you tell us why you think Nagio sucks or why do you think it not, doesn't suck? We have a comment section on the website. Please let us know. That wraps it up for the 39th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. Please take the time to rate the show on iTunes. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we, w we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts in email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. Thanks, and good night.